We've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Erica Reamer. Today, they welcome the return of internationally renowned psychiatrist H. Stephen Moffick. Senior healthcare consultant Lori Johnson has an exclusive preview of the upcoming Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting. Former CMS official turned IT consultant Stanley Nockamson reports on the latest regulatory news from Washington. And Tim Powell is at the news desk. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor and the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 451st live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. brought to you today by the ICD University Bookstore, and good morning, Erica. Thank you, Chuck. Good morning, everybody. As you heard Clark Anthony announce, we'll have an exclusive preview of the 2021 Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting. Now, that meeting takes place next Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm well aware. I'll be there. <laughs> Lori Johnson will be reviewing the proposed ICD-10 topics scheduled to be discussed. And one of those topics is prolonged grief disorder. And that's why we invited Dr. H. Stephen Moffat to be our special guest today. When you think of prolonged grief, think of the tragic helicopter crash that claimed the life of basketball superstar Kobe Bryant. You know, many are still mourning his death. That was way back in January of last year. Prolonged grief also relates to COVID-19, more than 500,000 deaths here in the United States. Uh, looking forward to your talk back, Sarah. What are you going to be talking about today? I'm actually going to be talking about the coding of vaccinations and their reactions. We have much news to report, and we begin with Tim Powell, who's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by MedLearn Media. Looking for the correct compliance answer? Sign up for MedLearn Media's Compliance Question of the Week, the newsletter that answers all your questions on cardiology, laboratory, pharmacy, radiology, respiratory, and general coding. Here now is Tim Powell. Good morning, Tim. Thanks, Chuck. I was going to talk about something else, but recently I got a call. Someone told me that they were being approached about getting assistance on a payroll protection plan loan from the Small Business Administration. My client was offered what the salesperson said was a great deal. They would get a PPP loan and only charge if they obtained the loan. A contract proposal followed that had a commission of 5% of the loan. If the company could obtain the loan from the bank as part of the PPP, as a kicker, the agreement required that they personally guarantee that the fee would be paid even if the company failed to pay it. Sounds like a violation of federal law, doesn't it? And that's because it is. First, U.S. law specifically bars contingent fee uh, contracts on obtaining government uh, contracts under 42 CFR sections 52.203-5. The regulation requires that fo- the following language be entered into the federal contracts. Uh, the contractor warrants that no person or agency has been employed or retained to solicit or obtain this contract upon agreement or understanding for a contingent fee, except a bona fide employee or agency. For breach or violation of this warranty, the government shall have the right to annul this contract without liability or deduct the contract price or consideration, otherwise recover the full amount of the contingent fee. This means that should someone obtain a PPP loan using one of these shady agreements, the federal government can take all the money back without giving you back the money that you paid to your consultant. And while this affects more than just healthcare providers, it's a huge issue for healthcare. And with that, Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim, very much. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and an ICD-10 monitor national correspondent. It's Tuesday. It's March 2nd of the day. The U.S. is set to begin administering doses of Johnson & Johnson's one-shot COVID-19 vaccine. This is Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by.
Acute heart failure poses serious coding and CDI challenges. Fortunately, two upcoming webcasts from ICD-10 Monitor and Rack Monitor deliver essential information leading to stronger documentation in support of your ICD-10-CM coding for acute heart failure. You'll also learn effective strategies for appealing claims denials. Register now for this two-part series with Rack Monitor and ICD-10 Monitor, Acute Heart Failure, Coding, CDI, and Appeal Strategies. This special series starts tomorrow, March 3rd, and continues Wednesday, March 17th. Save 10% when you purchase the combo, so register now for this unique two-part webcast presentation. Here now with the preview of next week's Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting is Lori Johnson. Lori also has a Talk to Tuesday listener survey. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica, and hello to our listeners. At this time next week, as you said, Chuck, the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting will have just begun. The meeting will start at 9 a.m. Eastern Time with the procedure topics that I reviewed last week. The tentative agendas are available under the Event Resources tab um, on your screen. The links are also available in my article today on ICD10Monitor.com. Comments are due by April 9, 2021. The final packet and presentations for six topics that have requested new technology add-on payment and involve the administration of therapeutic agents has already been posted. The tentative agenda for diagnosis will be addressed on Wednesday, March 10th. The final agenda has not been posted as of when I looked at it this morning. The tentative agenda covers topics in the majority of the body systems, and some of the tentative topics include acute and chronic metabolic acidosis, encounter for pediatric to adult counseling, fetal anomalies, limb girdle muscular dystrophies expansion, Parkinson's disease with off episodes, traumatic post-traumatic visual disturbances, rheumatic mitral valve leaflet calcification. The tentative agenda includes prolonged grief disorder, which Dr. Moffick will discuss later. As stated before the comments are as stated before, the comments are due by April 9, 2021, and the email addresses are displayed on the screen. If you want to comment on procedures or diagnosis proposal, you must join the meeting via Zoom. This is your opportunity to impact co-development as well as obtaining a few continuing education credits, which are free. Since the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting will be virtual, we would like to do a survey to know how you plan to participate in the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting. We would like to know if you will join live and have the ability to comment, so you're going to join via Zoom, or you can either dial in or listen to the Zoom meeting live, but you're not planning to make any comments, so listen only. Number three is I'm going to watch the recording later. Number four is I will not watch or listen ever. Please vote, and we will be back to review the responses. Back to you, Erica. Thanks, Lori. You know I'll be there. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is Senior Healthcare Consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Chuck? Thanks, Erica. And Lori Johnson, thanks very much. And as Lori said, we're going to have the results of the Talk 10 Tuesday Listener Survey later in this broadcast. 
Now's the time for Reg Watch featuring nationally recognized healthcare and technology consultant Stanley Knoxon. And good morning, Stanley. Somewhat uh, of a slow news day, perhaps, in Washington around the regulatory action taking place. What do we need to know? Good morning, Chuck, and everybody on the broadcast. We're still waiting for some clear indication of the priorities of the new Biden administration in health care. The nominee for HHS Secretary, California Attorney General Xavier Becerra, has had several confirmation hearings. He has indicated strong support for telehealth and has been a strong supporter of the, the ACA. Indications are that expanding coverage under the ACA is one of President Biden's priorities. The announced nominee for the new CMS administrator is Chiquita brooks Lashure. She served at CMS during the Obama administration, where she was involved in launching the Affordable Care Act and was deputy director of the agency's health insurance office. During the presidential transition, she served as a lead for President Biden's HHS review team. She has also worked on Capitol Hill and had a working relationship with Mr. Basira during that time. She's a strong advocate for the ACA and for health equity. Her nomination was praised by many industry groups based on her wide range of experience in Medicare, Medicaid, and other health programs. And Chuck, you're right, the regulatory front has been fairly quiet, as the new administration is reviewing some of the last rules published by the Trump administration. There's currently a proposed rule on updates to HIPAA privacy that it is out for public comment. However, the latest CMS interoperability rule has been pulled back for review. At this time, its fate is uncertain as the new administration has not yet announced a decision on that rule. Meanwhile, CMS, the Office for Civil Rights and the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT continue their day-to-day work. CMS recently issued guidance on requiring group health plans to cover COVID-19 testing without cost sharing, even in the absence of symptoms or suspected exposure and without prior authorization. And in about a month, the ONC rule that prohibits information blocking, that is preventing the sharing of individual healthcare data, will go into effect, meaning many entities will have shared data without significant cost or other obstacles. This is truly a big step in allowing interoperability for healthcare data and will allow patients greater access to their data. Now, interoperability has been a bipartisan issue for many years, starting with the Bush administration. It is expected to continue to be a priority under this administration with the existing rules in place to require more and more data sharing over the next several years. This will allow patients to have access to their data through standard mobile applications, allowing individuals to use their phones and their tablets to access their data from all of their providers and their health plans and have a complete record of their health care information. That's it for me. Erica, back to you. Thank you, Stanley. That was Healthcare IT Authority, Stanley Nockhamson. Stanley is the founder of Nockhamson Advisors, LLC. Chuck? Thanks, Erica, and thank you very much, Stanley, for that great report.
As we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, we are previewing the upcoming Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting. Now, you heard Lori Johnson's report on the ICD-10-CM proposed codes, and one of those proposed codes caught our attention, and it's prolonged grief disorder. And someone who has written about this disorder is a friend of this broadcast. That's Dr. H. Stephen Moffick. And good morning, Dr. Moffick. What do we need to know about prolonged grief disorder? Thank you, Chuck. And I was so pleased to see that the upcoming ICD-10 Coordination and Maintenance Committee of the CDC was meeting next week, and that prolonged grief disorder was one of the items. It seems paradoxical to me that even with all these losses we've experienced last year, that a new diagnostic category in psychiatry actually seemed to slip by without much attention, as if even we in medicine didn't want to hear about it, but that it still fits the time precisely. Back in October, the Assembly of the American Psychiatric Association approved the new diagnostic category of prolonged grief to be included in an imminent update to DSM-5, DSM-5-TR. Although it has always been hard to draw the line with normal mourning, and hence what should draw the attention of medicine and psychiatry, this does seem to be a distinct problem. It also has some similarity to what has been called persistent complex bereavement disorder. Brain-wise, prolonged grief shows increased activity in the nucleus accumbens, the brain region associated with reward, which doesn't occur with clinical depression. In other words, with involvement of the reward system, it has more in common with addiction than depression. Prolonged grief is characterized by distressing and disabling yearning for the deceased or what is lost, accompanied by intense emotional pain for at least six months after the loss, along with some symptoms such as anger and guilt. It occurs more often when there are many casualties, perhaps occurring in up to a quarter of those close to the deceased in that situation. Prolonged grief symptoms are also typically elevated when deaths are unexpected. Traditional grief rituals are absent, and live physical social support is lacking. Sounds a lot like it occurs with COVID-19, doesn't it? With prolonged grief, formal treatment is often needed. What doesn't seem to help is medication. However, varieties of cognitive behavioral therapy do, and they're starting to be used online. Support groups for those with similar losses can also help. Though we are focusing on grieving deaths, major losses of other sorts can also lead to prolonged grief. One COVID example is the loss of health in long-termers with chronic symptoms. For children, another form of CBT called CBT Grief Help seems to work. Studied using nine sessions, interventions include imagining exposure, that is telling the story of the loss, and writing, such as a letter to the lost person about what the patient misses most. For children, the prolonged grief is especially common after losing a parent. Grieving adequately is painful, but the paradoxical outcome can be more resilience and emotional strength. Without prevention or treatment, prolonged grief can last indefinitely and lead to substance abuse, suicidality, sleep disorders, and impaired immune functioning, among other things. Our increased understanding of prolonged grief may also help lead to some preventive techniques also. If symptoms escalate after unexpected deaths, unavailable traditional rituals, and absence live social support, then pay attention to those situations and try alternatives to traditions. Let's also look for more societal opportunities to do so. Just think what we could do with having all those waiting to get the vaccine or afterwards fill out the simple bereavement challenges scale, which can help identify specific thoughts and behaviors that pose a risk for prolonged grief.
Feedback on your score could then be provided and help suggest it, if only. Back to you, Erica. Thank you, Steve. That was Dr. H. Stephen Mothick, an internationally renowned psychiatrist and award-winning author. Thanks, Erica. And Dr. Moffick, thank you again very much. And for a very fascinating discussion on prolonged grief disorder, be sure to read my interview with Dr. Moffick. It's in the February 9th edition of IC10 Monitor, COVID-19, one death per minute. Coming up next, the results of today's Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey. This is Talk 10 Tuesday. It's a broadcast service of ICD-10 Monitor. Stand by. Constant change is now the norm for society and for healthcare. With so much upheaval, you must adopt new practices and protocols, including how you access continuing education. In-person conferences are closed, yet it's as important as ever to stay current with ICD-10 coding best practices and the latest rules. Plus, CEUs are still needed to maintain professional credentials. Now you can get critical continuing education with a subscription to ICD-10 Monitor Educational Webcasts. For one affordable annual fee, everyone on your team can access dozens of exclusive ICD-10 Monitor Webcasts covering a comprehensive range of timely, vital topics. Is an ICD-10 Monitor subscription right for you? Visit the portal page at ICD University for more details and to sign up for a complimentary three-day trial. Here now with the Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey is Lori Johnson. Good morning again. Good morning, Chuck. Yes, the responses to the survey are interesting. We asked, how do you plan to participate in the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting? And the results are live and have the ability to comment, 9%. Live but listen only, 41%. Watch the recording later, 25%. And 25% also will not watch or listen ever. So interesting results. I'm surprised the 41% listen but don't participate. It, i got to tell you, it's really fun to be able to um, make comments and help guide them in the designing of the codes. So you might want to consider sometime in the future actually participating um, and giving your comments at that time. Now's the time for our very popular segment here at Talk to Tuesday. It's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer. Once again, here's Dr. Erica Reamer. COVID-19 vaccination is ramping up. More than 70 million shots administered and well over a million a day. We talked clinical during February Vaccination Nation Month. Now let's talk COVID-19 vaccination coding and billing. There is only one ICD-10 CM code for vaccination and that is Z23, Encounter for Immunization. It is used for any vaccination. The specificity for vaccines is accomplished by using the correct CPT code. For COVID-19 vaccinations, we have three manufacturers now, as of this weekend, under emergency use authorization, Pfizer, Moderna, and Janssen or Johnson & Johnson. It's the same vaccine. There is a code to identify the maker of the vaccine, so Pfizer is 91300 and Moderna is 91301. And then there is a unique second code to signify which vaccine in the two-dose series it is. J&J's codes are 91303 and 0031A. The government is keeping a current list, and you should feel free to check out my article, which was posted this morning, 
um, which is already out of date because the J&J vaccine wasn't approved yet when I wrote it. Sorry. Someone asked me about a scenario where a provider diagnosed post-vaccination weakness and mental status changes for a patient who became lethargic and confused after their second COVID-19 vaccination shot. Her coding team couldn't decide as to whether an adverse effect or complications of the vaccine code was indicated. It's an interesting conundrum. What constitutes an adverse effect as opposed to a complication? Here is my opinion. Adverse effects are unpleasant side effects of a medication appropriately ordered and administered, which require medical attention, workup, or treatment. It is well known that you can develop a headache from the vaccine. If you take two acetaminophen and it's controlled, no harm, no foul, no medical presentation, no code. If it is so bad you go to the emergency department and they see to your head to ensure there is no bleed, that's an adverse effect. Coding of adverse effects is by convention, manifestation first, and T50.B95A, adverse effect of other viral vaccines initial encounter. Non-specific ICD-10 CM symptom codes may be used in conjunction to specify the adverse effect. There is a dedicated code for post-vaccination fever, R50.83. Adverse effects usually occur within one to two days, whereas complications, which we'll discuss now, are often noted in a more delayed fashion. The other code that the questioner referenced was T88.1XXA, which is titled Other Complications Following Immunization, Not Elsewhere Classified, Initial Encounter. I couldn't find any guidance in the great Google sphere as to what falls into this code, but it seems to me like this is a reaction to the procedure or the action of immunization, not necessarily due to the vaccine medication itself. When I vaccinate, the team leader cautions us to place the vaccine in the correct anatomical location. If a vaccination were incorrectly administered into the deltoid tendon or the shoulder joint, that would be a complication following immunization. Excessive bleeding or hematoma, T88.1XXA. I think the development of ipsilateral axillary lymphadenopathy would also be coded with TXX.1 X, uh, sorry, T88.1XX, whatever, with R59.0, localized enlarged lymph nodes, as the manifestation. The localized itchy rash they have been seeing mostly with Moderna vaccine surrounding the injection site, known as COVID arm, would also be coded with TXX.1, sorry, I keep doing that, T88.1XXA. Other potential issues post-vaccination are infection, like abscess, which would be T88.0XX, an allergy to the vaccine. An acute allergic reaction short of anaphylaxis would be coded as T50.B95A, adverse effect. But anaphylaxis due to vaccination has its own dedicated code, T80.52XA. If a patient presents with a known significant allergy to COVID-19 vaccine, they would have pre-existing Z88.7, allergy status to serum and vaccine. This might lead to Z28.04, 
immunization not carried out because of patient allergy to vaccine or component. Now, to answer the original question, the codes I would select for the documentation of the case presented would be R53.1, weakness, R41.82, altered mental status unspecified, and T50.B95A, adverse effect of other viral vaccines initial encounter. If you, our listeners, have submitted questions to AHA Coding Clinic and have gotten different advice, please let me know. I am not a coder. I just play one on the computer. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Erica, very much for that excellent report. And by the way, I did have my uh, vaccination, and the only side effect is that I keep on talking about it. Uh, that's going to be a wrap for this edition of Talk to Tuesday. It's our 451st live edition of this broadcast, and I want to thank our panelists today, Lori Johnson. Lori, thanks for the uh, report on the upcoming Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting, also for the Modern Money Listener Survey. Tim Powell is also on our broadcast today. Thanks, Tim, very much. Stanley Knockerson, thanks for the update on what's going on in Washington, D.C., and, of course, our special guest, Dr. H. Stephen Moffick. And as always, thanks to our co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer. Until next Tuesday... I'm Chuck Buck reporting for IC10 Modern Talk to you on Tuesday. Be sure to wear your mask, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated because, as you know, it's very dangerous out there. And a program note next Tuesday, we begin the first of our three part series on outpatient CDI. So be sure to be with us next Tuesday. And thank you very much, everyone, for being with us today. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD 10 Monitor.